pretty good way to end a song, isn't it? It really is. He is unfailing. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Don't you love it when folks say that? That's the way we, that's the way we say it in my hometown of Lausanne, Mississippi, population 332. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Yeah. Well, find your place with me in Mark's Gospel. You know that last week we opened the page on Mark's Gospel and we'll be looking at it for the next several weeks, yea, very much probably, as we preach through this uh, great, fast-paced, quick-moving gospel. We said that it's that way because two out of every three verses in Mark's Gospel starts with and. Mark trying to catch his breath to say as much as he can about Jesus in a short amount of time. We have said that the word immediately is used over 40 times, so Mark is um, he's laying it down, trying to get a lot of words in very quickly. He's uh, kind of a fast-talking preacher like somebody else we know. Uh, in, in conjunction with preaching through Mark, one of the things that we want to do, you heard Tiffany say that uh, we want to invest in people, and, and we really do. One of the things that we have done is we have ordered the book that has been recently released by one of my profs and mentors, Dr. Bill Cook, who is the professor of um, New Testament interpretation at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He has written a book. Uh, there's going to be more to follow in this series that he and several other high-powered authors are going to be releasing. Uh, 40 days in Mark. So it is a 40-day devotional. And we have several copies of these. We are distributing them through our grace group. We're asking folk to get on this journey with us and use this for the next 40 days as a part of your spiritual disciplines and as part of your devotion time and quiet time with the Lord. If you have not received a copy and you would like a copy of Dr. Cook's book, 40 Days in Mark, see Dr. John Wilson and he'll be glad to put one in your hand. Anyway, there's that. Okay. Mark chapter number 1. Today we're finding our place in verse number 14. So here we go, Mark chapter 1 and verse number 14. John, uh, excuse me, here I go again. Mark tells us, <laughs> beginning right there now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he, that is Jesus, was going by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that is Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther... He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Well, I couldn't help but notice several things that are particularly interesting about this passage of Scripture, and boy... What a rich passage of Scripture it is, along with all of Mark's first chapter and the succeeding chapters as well. 
But a couple of things that I could not get away from as I looked at these verses this week is the reference to time, which we have all through these verses. Now let me give you some of them here just to make sure you see what it is I'm talking about. And verse number 14 is really a time stamp completely. Mark is telling us when this happened. And it happened after John the Baptist, whom we talked about last week, was taken into custody. And you can imagine somebody who preached like John wasn't going to last long before he offended somebody in authority and they threw him in jail. Now it's about what happened. So here's a time stamp. Mark even gives us a, particularly, a particular time-related word in, in verse 14. The very first word says, Now. Okay? Now Jesus comes along in verse 15 on the heels of this time stamp. And this is what he says, the time is fulfilled. So here we have another reference to time. Verse 16, kind of another time reference in that participial phrase, as he was going by the sea. But now look at these two explicit references to time in verse number 18. Again, it's one of Mark's favorite words. Immediately they left their nets. And then again in verse number 20, immediately he called them. So as we look at this passage and try to figure what it's all about, let's just say this, it's about time. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can understand that phrase, it's about time. And most of the ways we hear are usually not in a good way. When we finally do something that we should have done, somebody will normally smirk and say, well, it's about time you caught up with the rest of us, or it's about time you got with the program. But in this particular instance, that's not what the phrase means. I want to talk to us, meaning that this, the subject of this passage of Scripture is time. So what is it about? It's about time. And you know, we can get very philosophical as you think about time, because time is something that is strange indeed. I have a friend of mine who is much more scholarly than I, and he talks about time a good bit. And one of the things that he says about time is that time is little more than a parenthesis placed in eternity. Stop and think about that. Time began when God spoke this creation into existence. And it's going to end when he folds it all up. And time is going to be swallowed back up into eternity. So in a very real sense, time is just a parenthesis in eternity. Get on either side of time and you're out there in eternity. So when we think about time, you know, something else that gives us insight into how time is really only relevant in this particular place in which we live on planet Earth you ever listen to astronauts talk about how time means nothing once you get outside the rotation of Earth? I mean, stop and think about it. On Jupiter, time, mean, on Jupiter, time means nothing, especially Earth time. When you get on to Pluto, it means even less. How much less does time mean when you get into eternity? There's nothing to give a time reference. So we can get very philosophical and... I thought about bringing in Stephen Hawking's book. I'd like to know how many of you have read Dr. Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time? Show of hands. I'm so glad y'all haven't. you got to be an A number one class A geek to read something like that. And let the record show, I haven't read it either. <laughs> 
But I've heard a lot of folk talk about a brief history of time by the renowned physicist uh, uh, Stephen Hawking. So today, uh, my, my talk about time is going to be even briefer. It's going to be a, an abbreviated talk about time. So here we go. Let's look at this and see what it is that Mark has to say about time in these verses. I think the first thing that Mark is telling us, and we see it come through in verse 15, is that time is now pregnant with eternal potential. Now a couple of things. Why do I say now? Because it's all predicated upon the arrival of the Son of God upon planet earth. And boy, that did something to time. And again, we could get very philosophical. Just his arrival on planet earth is what divides all time. It's how we record calendar dates today. It's either B.C. or it's C.E. or whatever you want to call it or A.D., whatever Latin you prefer to follow. But nonetheless, the time reference here is Christ's arrival on planet earth. And what John is telling us is that time is now pregnant with eternal potential. Check this out. Look what he says in verse 15. The time is fulfilled. Now, that word fulfilled there does not give us the sense of chronological sequence. There is a specific Greek word for that, and Mark opted not to use that word. So he's not telling us that, you know, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and now all of a sudden everything is taken place that needs to take place and the time is now or the time is fulfilled because everything has been chronologically and sequentially fulfilled. He's not saying that. Here's what he's saying. He's using a word and giving us the idea of an empty vessel sitting on the table and that vessel being filled up to the point of overflowing. And boy, isn't that what happens when the eternal one, the Son of God, who inhabits and fills all of eternity suddenly becomes man and steps in to this small parenthesis that we call time. Now all of a sudden time is overflowing. Time, as I have said here, is pregnant with eternal potential. Now let's stop there and talk for a little while. Do you see the minutes and the hours and the weeks and the months of your life in that way. It's time that has been filled up to the max, overflowing with eternal potential. There is no such thing as a meaningless moment in our life. Now, we, we tend to empty the eternal significance out of it sometimes, but time is literally... Mark says, pregnant with eternal potential. Now, several implications here. Let's walk through them pretty quickly because i got to hit the road and use my time very wisely. What does that mean that time is now? What are the implications? Well, it means that time is not to be killed in meaningless tasks. If time is indeed, as Mark tells us, is pregnant to the point of overflowing, about to explode with eternal possibilities and eternal potential, what in the world are we ever doing just killing time? You ever use that expression? What are you doing? Well, I'm just killing 
time. If it is indeed pregnant, then that should be far from us. Now there's a couple of things that I want to bring to the table here as we talk about that. Again, time. Time. First thing I want to say is that time within itself is not intrinsically good. It's not. Matter of fact, the passage that Blake read this morning, he said this. He said, be careful how you walk. And, and, and the version that he read said, make the most of your time. Does anybody have the KJV version of that handy? Here's what the KJV says. The KJV says, redeeming the time. That redemption idea means that we're buying it back because it's headed in the wrong direction. That we've got to do something to salvage it, to make it, or to bring out the eternal potential that God has placed within time. Hear me. Time within itself is not intrinsically good. Watch this. Time is not on your side. Time is not your friend. Here's a, here's a reality. Any of us who have a little time under our belt in life, I mean, have you stopped and looked in the mirror lately? Have you seen what time has done to you and what time is doing to you? I mean, you stand in front of that mirror and you notice things like, uh, you know, there used to be things that were flat and now they're bulging. <laughs> you notice that there used to be things that were firm and bulging and now they're flat. <laughs> you notice things like... <laughs> There used to be areas of your body, particularly your head, that was covered in fur or hair. <laughs> now it's not. <laughs> Jamie says, why are you looking at me? <laughs> hey, there's also parts of your body that used to be smooth and hairless, and now they seem to be covered in fur. What's the deal? I mean, <laughs> I, look, my hair is going too, Jamie, it is. But I know where it's going. <laughs> no. It's going inside and it's coming out other places it ain't supposed to. <laughs> I mean, I get up every morning and I brush my teeth and I comb my ears. <laughs> What's the deal with hair coming out places it ain't supposed to come out? That's what time does to you. You see, time is not on our side and time is not intrinsically good but time is pregnant with eternal possibilities and it's up to us to do something about that. I read an article recently about an expedition that was exploring within the Arctic Circle several decades ago. They didn't have the technology that we have today but nonetheless they were on this mission and they walked out uh, towards the North Pole and they took um, a GPS fix to determine their position. So they took the GPS fix and I promise you it wasn't by pulling out their iPhone like we can do today anywhere. It was a little more complicated than that but they took a fix of their position and then they took their compass headings and they headed north and they walked north for five hours. They stopped, they set up their equipment again and they took another GPS fix and they could not figure out what's going on because they were farther south after walking five hours north than they were when they began. And they couldn't figure it out. 
So they said there's nothing else to do but keep going ahead. So they took their compass readings and checked accuracy and they struck out for another five hours, stopped, took another GPS reading. The same thing was happening. See, what they didn't realize was that they walked out on about a 20-mile sheet of ice. And the, the ice broke off from where it was connected and it was floating south faster than they were walking north. And can I say to you, that's the exact condition that most believers find themselves in today. Most believers are drifting south through time more quickly than they're walking north in their fellowship of Jesus Christ. If you just stand still, I promise you, time's not on your side. Hear me, believer, if you're not doggedly pursuing as Jesus called these guys here to come and follow me, if you're not doggedly pursuing a relationship with Christ, if you're flat-footed spiritually, you're going to end up further south than you ever dreamed you would be simply through doing nothing. Because the iceberg with time is headed south. And life in general will head south. So Jesus kind of gives us the antidote to that as he talks about and as we look at time. So the first thing that we have to say is we look at the fact that time is pregnant with eternal potential. That doesn't mean it's automatically going to come out. You do nothing and I can promise you you're going to drift southward pretty quickly. So number one, time is not intrinsically good. But number two, let me say also that time is not to be equated with God. And I hear this so often. There's this pagan idea, kind of the pagan idea of father time, I guess, where time is kind of treated as the cure-all to all that ills us. And I hear this quite regularly. Folk will say, well, time will heal it. Watch my lips. Time doesn't heal. Only God heals. And to say that time heals is, is to postulate time itself in the position of God Almighty. Listen, if something is wrong, time has no power to cure it. I had a friend in Mississippi uh, who pastored a church there who was a cardiologist. And one of the things that I used to appreciate about him more than anything, before he did a procedure on a patient, he would go in and he would give them his Christian spiel. And he would say this, Now, there's no doubt that I can perform this procedure successfully on you today. But understand that I can't heal you. God must use the procedure that I'm doing for your benefit to cause you to get better. God is the healer. And it's the same thing with time. You do nothing in time, believer, watch me. You get your feelings hurt. Somebody wound you at church and you do nothing about it, time is just going to make it worse. You're just going to be more bitter in 10 years than you are now. You'll be more upset and further south in 20 years than you were in 10 years. You must do something to offset, to counteract this southward flow of time. 
time is pregnant with eternal possibilities. That's why the devil wants you to waste it so much. That's why he wants you to do nothing with it. So that the eternal potential that God has buried in time because of Christ stays on the table. Well, notice, time is not to be killed with meaningless tasks, but I think we've got to hasten to say that time is to be mined. It's to be mined for its eternal riches. Hey, look at the hours in your day tomorrow as if it were an untapped diamond mine. The riches are there beneath the surface. How are you going to pull that potential out and make it a reality in your life? Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. It's running over. What are we going to do about it? Well, don't get me wrong. There are some moments in life that are more important than others, right? There seems to be more specific times that are filled with more eternal possibility than the other. But here's the deal. If we're not spiritually sharp, and we're not pursuing a walk and a relationship with Jesus Christ, time's headed south. We'll wake up one day and look in the mirror, and there'll be more there than just wrinkles and bulges and bald spots that we have to be sorry for. Boy, it's going south quick. Anybody here agree with me when I say to you that the condition of the United States of America spiritually, politically, culturally, would you say that they're better today than they were, let's say, in 1990, or are they worse? What happened? The passing of time. Now, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, do you think they're going to be better in 2025 than they are in 2021 or worse? It's just the passing of time. As we lose the spiritual battle, that iceberg drifts south a little more quickly. Oh, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way for you individually. It doesn't have to be that way for us collectively. But I'm telling you, if we do nothing, that's exactly what will take place. Things will be worse. Now get this. Our friends, the scientific evolutionists, they want us to believe that things are getting better with time. And there's not one example of that to be found anywhere. If you turn on a flashlight, matter of fact, the second law of thermodynamics contradicts that. You turn on a flashlight, walk off and leave it, and come back tomorrow, is that flashlight brighter or is it weaker? You see, that's what time does. Redeem the time in order to counteract the southward drift of time. Now notice what Jesus does as we continue to talk about time. He tells us, number one, that time is pregnant. That word fulfill, that's what it means. Time, the time is pregnant with eternal potential. Now that means something for us. But the second thing he tells us is that time is precious because of the kingdom's proximity. Because of the kingdom's proximity. Look what he says in verse 15. The time is fulfilled, comma, and the kingdom of God is way off out there somewhere on the other side of the universe. Is that what he said? The kingdom of God is years away. 
months away. Just go ahead and do whatever you want. Put it off as long as you want to put it off. Make whatever excuse you want to make because it's way out there, not even in our neighborhood. Is that what he said? No, he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's right. I mean, it's right here. It's within arm's length. There's very little separating us from that realm in which God rules. So here we go. What we got to do is this. We got to define it, number one. What is the kingdom of God? What is he talking about? Well, the kingdom of God and the corollary term in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven, what does that mean? Well, here we go. The kingdom is identified as God's spiritual rule. Now hear me. There was a sense in which the kingdom was inaugurated with the coming of Jesus Christ. When eternity jumped into time and made it pregnant with all of these possibilities, that's the initiation of the kingdom of God. Now here's what the kingdom of God is. It's that spiritual realm over which God is presently reigning as king. You know where that is? It's in the hearts and lives of his people. But now, there is another aspect where that spiritual reign of God is going to be absorbed into a physical kingdom of God. The book of Revelation declares that the kingdoms of this, this earth have become, in a literal sense, the kingdom of God. But we're talking here, Jesus is talking about that spiritual rule, the spiritual sphere in which God occupies kingship. You see, you enter the kingdom when you're born again. Did you know that? That's what happens. The church is to govern herself according to the principles of the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of this world. So here we go. He's talking about that kingdom. It's right here at arm's length distance in any direction. Now, watch what that means. If the kingdom is identified as God's spiritual rule in our lives, then here's what happens in the kingdom. When we submit to God's rule as members of His kingdom, that means that God's rule brings His ideals to life. God's ideals are brought to fruition. That means the plans, the designs, and the intentions that God Almighty had for life prior to the fall in Genesis chapter 3 can be a reality in your life because you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. God's ideals are brought to life. You see, this is what ought to separate the church from everybody else because God's intentions are being perfectly fulfilled in the people who have submitted to His Lordship and rule. And can I just say that life generally doesn't work any other way? I mean, if God is the author and the designer of life, doesn't it make sense to you that He would give us an instruction manual on how to use it, how to bring His ideals, how to have abundant life? And you see, that's what the kingdom is all about. It's about His ideals. And can I say to you that when we do life, in a manner that's contrary to God's ideals, it's going to go south. It's going to go south. It's amazing to me how I constantly am talking with people and 
giving biblical counsel because life has fallen apart and they don't understand the connection between why life ain't working for you and the lifestyle that you're living that's contrary to God's ideals. Anytime you bet your life against what the creator of life has said, watch me, you're going to lose. You're going to lose that bet. So if God's word says that this is his ideals for our life, it's not so he can rob us of joy. It's not so he can kill our fun. It's so he can bring the eternal value of every moment of your life to the table and establish his ideals. That's what abundant life in Christ is all about. So here we go. The kingdom is identified as God's spiritual rule, especially in our hearts and lives. His rule brings, brings His ideals to life. But number two, God's rule is contrary to our ideas about life. You see, this is, what, this is what's so amazing about this book is it's counterintuitive. You can't live the life God wants you to live if you're living it according to your own intuition. Because I want you to know that kingdom principles are contrary to our ideas about life. Someone once asked me to sum up my ministry at the end of 12 years at a local church on the east coast of Florida before Heather and I went to the mission field in Brazil said, sum up your ministry here in one sentence. I said, all right, I'll do it. Here it is. It's challenging accepted cultural norms with the authority of God's word. And you see, it's not just about that church doing it. It's about my life. Because have you ever noticed this? We, become, we come to the table pre-programmed with our ideas about how life ought to be done. This world does that. Our culture does that. Our own sinful nature informs us. But this word stands in stark contrast to all of that. I mean, you don't have to read very far. Just go through the Sermon on the Mount. You'll find Jesus saying things like this. You want to live? Then you got to die. You want to experience life as God wanted you to, then you got to die to yourself. You find Jesus saying things like this. You want to be great? Then you got to humble yourself and be the servant of all. You find the Word of God saying things like this. You want to be rich? Then you got to give it all away. It's just contrary to the way we normally think. And those are the principles of the kingdom of God. So, the kingdom is identified as God's spiritual rule. The kingdom is entered with a simple response. Pastor Richie, how do I get into this realm? How do I get to where God is the one who's ruling and reigning in my life? How do I step into that sphere of reality? Notice what Jesus says. Verse 15 is itself pregnant, is it not? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here's your response. Repent. How do you have God bring His ideals to fruition in your life? Well, there's something which you must concede. Concede. Oh, we know something about that word in our political context, don't we? Folks, not wanting to concede defeat, not wanting to give it up. Well, what is it that you concede? Well, it's that word repent. First thing you've got to give up if you want to live under God's kingship is you've got to get off the throne yourself. To step off the throne 
and let Christ step on it. You've got to concede ownership of your life. You've got to concede control of your life. And you've got to give it to Him. You know what else you've got to concede? I, I think we can say it like this. Number one, we've got to concede position. That is, I've got to get off the throne. I'm not the ultimate one calling the shots in my life. I'm surrendering that to Him in obedience to His Word. But there's something else. Not only do we concede position, but we concede pride. Because here's what most of us don't want to do as it comes to that word repent. We don't want to admit we've been wrong about it. And that's what repentance means. Repentance means to have a change of mind which issues into a complete change of direction in life. So we've got to come to that place where we say, you know what? I've been wrong about my take on life. I've been wrong about what can make life good. I've been wrong about how to have joy unspeakable. I've been wrong about how to live my life. There's something you've got to concede if you're going to enter into that realm where God's bringing His ideals to fruition in your life. But number next, look what else Jesus said. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Number one, repent. And number two, believe in the gospel. Well, there's something you must concede, but there is something to which you must commit as well. This is one of the only places in the New Testament where this phraseology is used. Believe in the gospel. It doesn't just mean give mental assent. It means you're placing the weight of your life in the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no plan B. There is no alternate route. Either He is who He says He is, or we're all going to go down in a foolish, fiery ball. Here's what it means to believe in the gospel, to something to which you must commit. Dane Caldwell and I have done this hundreds of times in a Quilombola village in the jungle of Brazil where folk have no idea what it means to believe, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's let this chair represent the gospel. Jesus said, you've got to believe in the gospel, in the good news. Well, I can sit here and look at that chair and say, well, yep, it's got four evenly cut legs. It shouldn't fall over if I sit in it. Looks like it's made out of pretty high quality steel. I think that's going to support me if I sit on it. The cushion appears to be in good tact. That nothing's going to stick through. No spring is going to jump up and grab me where I don't want to be grabbed. I think that chair will comfortably support my weight. And that's how most people are with the gospel. That's not believing in the gospel. You haven't believed in the gospel until you have committed yourself to it. And the way you commit yourself to the gospel is simply putting my full weight on it. God, either this is real or I'm going to look pretty foolish because I'm going to hit the floor. You ever had somebody pull a chair out from under you? He ain't ever going to pull that chair out from under you. The last words we sang today. He is what? Unfailing. There's been nobody who's put their weight in the gospel of Jesus Christ and been disappointed. Have not, will not, cannot. Now watch this. We got to run. I told you I got to use my time wisely. There's something to which you mu there's something which you must concede if you're going to enter this kingdom, this realm where God brings his ideals to life. And there's something to which you must commit, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now check this out. It's all about time. This passage tells us that time is pregnant with eternal potential. This passage tells us that time is precious because of the kingdom's proximity. And then finally, this passage tells us that timing, timing, timing is paramount because of what He promises. And you see, this is why time is pregnant. Because the eternal Son of God has stuffed it full of His eternal promises. And how are you going to mind that glass in order to get those promises out to where you possess them rather than just hear about them and talk about them? Well, notice what it is that this passage tells us. What is His promise? Well, I said it like this. To make you is His promise. Look in verse number 17. Here's what He told them. And boy, I know I've, I've just really focused on the words written in red today, and that's a pretty good thing to focus on, is it not? Check out what He said. Follow me, and I will make you. Just underline those two words. Follow me, and I will make you. Follow me, and I will make you. You see what he's saying? We had our, our discipleship hour was at Wednesday night at that church on the East Coast. And you know what we called it? We called it Make University for, in short, make you. Make you. Because that's what Christ promises he'll do. He'll make you. He'll make you into his image. He'll make you into what God intended you to be. When your life was on the drafting table in eternity before you were ever born, he said, this is what I want Jerry Newman to be. And now through the process of being born again, Jerry, through the process of pursuing Christ, through the process of being a member of the kingdom of God, he's bringing into reality what was on the blueprint board in heaven about 10,000 years ago for you. That's what he does. Follow me and I will make you. Can I say a few things about that? Let's just emphasize it in a different way. Follow me and I will make you. I will make you. What is he saying? He's saying, can't nobody else do this for you. I'm the only one that has the power to make you. It's me. Hey, there's some good self-help programs out there. But they can't do near what the Son of God, the designer and author of life, can do. Follow me and I will make you. You know, here's the thing. You, you ever know anybody who was a self-made person? Self-made man? Here's what I notice about self-made people. Self-made people normally worship their creator. Say it, Alicia. Exactly right. That's right. It has the potential of doing it as well. But people whom Christ has made, guess who they worship? You're going to worship your maker. Follow me and I. Now let's just emphasize another word for sake of time. Follow me and I will. I will. He didn't say I might. He didn't say I can. There is no doubt in this statement. You follow me and I will make you. Isn't that cool? The only way for you to be who God designed you to be is when Christ makes you. He makes you. 
Well, to make you is His promise. He is unfailing. He will make you. Now, a few things I want to say about that, and I've got to run. Oh, I'm in good shape. Yeah, we don't get out to what, one? I'm way ahead of schedule. Check this out. Let me say a few things about His promise to make you. How does He do that? Well, in this context, here's what He did. He expands your horizons. Now, I'm just, I, I, I've only got time to hit about four of them. We could stay here for the next month and talk about everything that Christ does to make you. Are you with me? But here's what He did for these old boys. He expanded their horizon. And you know, what, you know what He does for you and for me when we follow Him? Same thing. He expands our horizons. Stop and think about this. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Their life was framed by the mountains that surrounded the Sea of Galilee. That's all they knew. That's all they thought they would ever need to know. They had no aspirations to get on the other side of those mountains. They were Galileans. They only went to Jerusalem when they had to because they went up there they were made fun of because of the way they talked. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they were completely encased in that context and by those mountains. And now Christ comes and He says, Hey, follow me. Well, let me fast forward you about 30 years. Peter ends up in Rome, the capital of the world, as an ambassador of Christ. John ends up in Ephesus pastoring the First Baptist Church of Ephesus. Later he was sent to the Isle of Patmos for doing that. We have very good historical records that indicate that Andrew took the gospel northward as far as Russia. So let me tell you what Jesus did when He said, I will make you. He kicked both ends out of the grave that had been keeping them in that rut caught between the mountains of the Sea of Galilee and He expanded their horizons to include the entire world. Woo! Son, let me tell you about a long-haired, Copenhagen-spitting, redneck, John Deere driving plowboy from South Mississippi. I grew up on a farm and as far as I knew my entire life was going to be spent right there in the context of those perimeter fences. I didn't want to go anywhere. This was everything I ever wanted. There were plenty of fish in the ponds. There was a lot of cows in the field. There was deer in the woods. I didn't want to go anywhere. That's all I wanted. That was my horizon. And one day, Jesus said, follow me. You know how he, you know how he said, follow me? Heather and I went to a little church where Craig Connor was preaching, a one-room white church where this wild man who was preaching the word, and they said, you just got to go and hear him. And Heather and I began going up there, and I had never heard the word preached like that before. It was almost as if God wrote it yesterday for me. And I'll never forget, true story. Heather and I were there one day and a friend of mine came and went out there to meet him. We walked in, both walked in the, in the back door of that little church. There's some old wooden doors, some old antique doorknobs. You know what I mean. You remember how your grandpa used to, grandma used to have them glass doorknobs and, and iron, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we walk in, in, the, in the church, shut the door behind us, 
and turned around, and my friend said, what am I supposed to do with this? A doorknob came off in his hand. <laughs> he went trying to put it back in the hole. It wouldn't go in the hole. He said, now what are we going to do? I said, I don't think God wants us to leave, brother. <laughs> hey, the roof didn't fall, but the doorknob came off. We couldn't leave. And that was just symbolic of what happened to us. My Lord, that little redneck boy since then has literally been places, met people, done things that there's no way I could have ever done had I not followed him outside the perimeter fence of that 80-acre farm. Never could have. And can I say he'll do the same thing for you? You will be amazed at where following Christ takes you. This blows my mind every time I think about it. If I hadn't have looked at that time in my life as precious, when the kingdom of hand was at, when the kingdom of God was at hand, if I hadn't have followed Him, do you know how many people in this room I would know today? Zero. I wouldn't know any of y'all. Do you know how much empty my life would be without knowing the people that God has brought into my world because I followed Him around this globe? And here's what blows my mind even more, Colin, when I stop and think about God. If you brought this many people to enrich my life in my life because of the course of following Christ up until today, how many more are going to walk in this place in the next two years? That's potential. That's why time is so pregnant. People are going to come into your life in the course of following Christ you wouldn't have met in any other way, no way, no how, and they're going to have a significant impact in your life. Well, i got to hurry. What does he do? Well, he expands your horizons. That's what he does. That's his promise. That's how he makes you. He makes you. Expands your horizon. Number two, he will increase your capacity. He'll increase your capacity. Look what he said to him. He said, man, he spoke to him. I love this. Hey, here's something for Grace Group. He met them on their own turf. He went to where they were. And he spoke to them in their own terms. They were fishermen. So he said, follow me and I will make you, stop right there, but he goes on further more specific, I will make you fishers of men. Look, they were already fishermen of fish, right? He's going to expand their capacity and cause them to be fishers of men. Taking the good news to others who so desperately need to hear it and have God's ideals come to reality in their life. He increased their capacity. And boy, here's the way it is. The first thing I did after I got under the preaching of the Word was I wanted to do something for Him. And just so happened, our church, that little old church where Dr. Craig Connor was preaching at the time, just bought 10 acres because God was calling so many people to Himself. We bought 10 acres because we had to tear down our barns and build bigger. So you know what I mean? And the first thing I did, I thought, you know, I'm, it's not rocket science. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I know what's going on here. Churches bought 10 acres, and it was, it was a woolly booger den. I'm telling you, it was, it was thick, thick, thick. But guess what? I'm a farm boy. I got equipment. I got bulldozers. I've got tractors. I've got heavy equipment. Hey, I'll clear that for y'all. Y'all want me to clear that? Because I'm a redneck, Copenhagen, spitting, bulldozer driving machine, huh? I'll clear that for y'all. That's what I do. You see, that's the first thing I did. 
And after I did that, I was so addicted until he just kept moving me. The next thing you know, I was doing the unthinkable. I was leading a class. Next thing you know, I'm standing in the pulpit. Next thing you know, I'm on the campus of Baptist College of Florida, having left my 80-acre farm, and now I'm over here with these weird people in the panhandle of Florida. My gosh. <laughs> I thought I went to the ends of the earth because I was in Graceville, Florida. <laughs> that was nothing. We left Graceville, Florida, and we went to Dallas-Fort Worth for seminary. Now, hey, you won't talk about a strange land. The metroplex of Texas is a strange land. It took us a long time to fit in out there because Texans will let you know if you're not born in Texas, you are second class, Daddy. <laughs> so you just sit down, shut up, and you listen to the rest of us. I mean, that's the way it is in Texas. Man, we left there, and we just continued to go on and on and on and on. Why? Because he increases your capacity. This is what I know. If you ain't doing more today than you were when you met him, it's because you hadn't done anything yet. When you start, he'll just enlarge your capacity. I love it when people tell me, oh, Brother Richie, I could never do that. And just watch him be faithful where they are with what they can do for a little while and watch how he increases their capacity. Eventually, they're doing what they thought they never could do. That's what he does. i got to hurry. Look here, I'm running out of time. i got two minutes to finish this. He'll increase your capacity. He'll also enlarge your family. He'll enlarge your family. Did you catch this? James and John, who'd they walk away from? They walked away from their daddy. They left him with the family business in the boat, high and dry. How can you ever leave daddy? Hey, if I ever told you I was a mama's boy? No, let me rephrase that. I am a mama's boy. That gets me in trouble. I told y'all how I used to, didn't even have to get up. Mama could just sense when my tea glass was getting close to the bottom. Next thing I know, it was full. So I get married, I just think that's what women do. <laughs> this is a good way to start Valentine's Day, ain't it? <laughs> so I remember the first time my tea glass got a little bit low. I thought, maybe she's just busy and don't see it. If I rattle it, it'll make some noise. So I rattled it. <laughs> you know what that got me. I am a mama's boy. Listen, let me just read what Mark said. Listen to this pas passage. Peter was always, if it came to his mind, he said it. So he asked Jesus, Jesus, we've left everything. What shall we get? Listen to what he said. Truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will not receive a hundred times as much in this present age Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms. My goodness. Yeah, I left family for this. But son, I will tell you, I left mama and them. You know what I mean? I left mama and them. But son, look what he gave me. I've got family all around this planet. I've got folk in Christ that are closer to me than blood relatives because of the bond. Don't tell me he fails at his promise. He doesn't. Notice number next, and I'm out of here. He'll expand your horizon. He'll increase your capacity. He'll enlarge your family. Let me just say this last one. He'll exceed your expectations. 
Now in him who is able to do, barely squeak out a little bit to get you by. <laughs> no, ain't what Paul said. Paul said, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you're able to ask or even think according to the power that works in us because we're in the kingdom. He's sitting on the throne of our heart because we've conceded that. Can I get a witness here? Are there any satisfied customers? Huh? Has he done exceedingly abundantly above what you thought? That's because it's his promise. His promise is to make you. To make you. To make you. And then finally, i got to say this. He makes you in his presence. Look what he says. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Here's the time note. Immediately, they went home and prayed about it. Immediately, they said, yeah, sounds good. I'll think about it and do it next Sunday. Now, immediately, they left their nets. Now, watch me. He promises to make you, but he cannot make you if it's a long-distance transaction. You've got to follow him. You've got to be with him. And in His presence, He transforms you. He makes you. So when you're following Him, and when you're pursuing Him, His promises come to fruition in your life regularly. You know, I've, I've been doing this a long time, and here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that those who are the least fulfilled in the kingdom are also those who are pursuing Him the least. I gave up pastoral counseling. You know why? Here's what I started telling folks. Because the only people who wanted to eat up all of my precious time in the day were those who made no effort at following Christ at all. So I finally said, all right, here's the deal. I counsel three times a week from the pulpit. Hey, that's what I'm doing today. Did you know that? I'm counseling with God's Word. And I say, I counsel three times a week. Back then we had Sunday morning, we had Sunday evening, we had Wednesday night. I said, if you want counsel, you'd be in those three counseling sessions. Then if you need something, I'd be glad to help you. But guess who was eating up all of my time? Those who refused to follow him at all. Those who refused to pursue a relationship with him. And then when God's ideals didn't come fruition and life drifted south, because that's what time does, then they want somebody to bail them out. I can't counsel you out of your failure to follow. You're the only one that can do that. And here's how you do it. By immediately. Yes, God, I'm going to commit my life to the gospel. I'm going to believe the gospel. I'm repenting. I'm conceding. I'm putting you on the throne of my heart. And then you stand as a recipient of all that he promised. Hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have John Wilson come up here. John, right over here. I'm going to have Colin Dollar right here. Here's our invitation for today. If God said something to you and you need to commit to it, you may want to ease up here and find one of these men and just say, hey, would you pray with me? Because the time, the kingdom of God is at hand. Timing is paramount. I'm not going to pray about this. I don't have to. If God said it, who, no sense in praying to the one who said it to me. He's going to say, yeah. So if God said something to you, here's our invitation. Make your way forward. Colin will be right there. John will be right here. I'll be right here in Jesus' name. Immediately.
Let's follow Him. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, it's